Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mojo. Ah, yes, here it is. Got your mojo working. Pizzazz, oomph, zest, passion, energy, vibe, ACDC, the Mojo Radio Show. Hey, that can't be right. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Before we start, just uh, I just want to say thank you everybody who's been sending us really nice notes the last couple of weeks. We've got some absolutely cracking notes and messages from people saying they like the show, they like the stuff we're doing and what's particularly gratifying is the value they're getting from it in some aspect of their world. And that's what the show's all about is helping get your mojo working in or out of work. If it's not your mojo, maybe it's somebody else you know is going through a hard time and you can steal some stuff from us, take it to them and help them get their mojo working. This week, we've turned an old spiritual, Robbo. We're going all Zen and Buddhist. We are. We had Z a couple of weeks ago and this week we're getting all Zen. We are and uh, it's good to see we both shaved down for it. <laughs> yeah, it took me so long to shave my head, jeez. <laughs> well, I don't know if the brown tracky decks make up for robes. That, that bit uh, I'm not sure about. Well, they're my robes. They're very spiritual to me. I'm also wondering what that incense is you're burning. Is that incense or is that... No, that's dinner. <laughs> Why are you so chilled? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. All right, well, uh, let's get into it. The Mojo Radio Show. I love this guy's name. We've talked about rock star names before, I reckon this is another one. Timber Hawkeye. you got to love it, don't you? Probably the greatest name of any guest we've ever had on the show. Oh, definitely up there. Absolutely. Now... The backstory to Timber Hawkeye is I was reading some blogs online and I came across this article that mentioned Timber Hawkeye and the fact that he'd been a guy living the life of the corporate world and decided to move across to Buddhism. What I found fascinating and the thing I wanted to speak about the most with Timber was how do you how, how do you take all the best from Buddhism? How do you take the best from Zen? and apply it in a normal day-to-day life for people who are just getting it done, corporate world, digital nomad, or a a mum or dad who's just trying to find their way. And the way this guy approached it, how he spoke, how he applied it to his own world and then shared the message, I just found the whole thing totally fascinated. Wrote to him and said, mate, you got to come on the show, got to give us a bit of this goodness so, uh, Timber Hawkeye, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Uh, before we before we get started on this interview, can I just say I love your name for two reasons. Firstly, Timber Hawkeye is just something you never hear anywhere, and secondly, it takes me back to my youth. I used to love the show Mash, and my favourite character in that show was Hawkeye. So, double whammy, great name. That's awesome. Thank you. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Timber. When people ask you what you do on a day-to-day basis, on a day that you control, how how do you respond? How do you answer? I don't think anyone's ever asked me that, but now that you have, 
I live life. I think my intention was to live more and work less because in the old days, what I did, you know, when someone asked me what I did, I would respond back with my job title. Like that identified who I was and that's not who I, I was, you know, so I live my life. I redefine what enough means and make the most out of every moment of every day. How's that for an answer? Beautiful, mate. I'm going to follow up with a very deep question for you. You said happiness doesn't come from a zip code. So where do you live? Well, and why do you live there? <laughs> it's actually the question I always ask everyone else because when yeah. I ask them why do you live where you do, they they say, "Oh, I don't know. I just I grew up here." Or you know, um, that's where the job is. It's never because I love it here. You know, it's so rarely that that people actually love where they are. And so I lived in Seattle and I loved every minute of that. And then I moved to Hawaii for 10 years and I absolutely loved every minute of that. And when I finished the book tour, which was supposed to be brief, the first book tour lasted three years across the US, UK and Australia. Um, and then I moved into a little cabin in the East Sierras because I needed a break from three years of couch surfing. Um, cause when I travel, I sleep on people's couches along the way. I don't stay in hotels or anything like that. And I just wanted a time out, a quiet time to write down the answers to so many people's questions uh, that came up over the book tour, which was a more intimate look into how I ended up living the life that I did. And that's when I wrote the memoir. And then I did a book tour with that. And I used the process of elimination to decide where I live. I didn't want to live anywhere cold. I didn't want to live anywhere flat. Um, I wanted ocean and, and mountains. And uh, that led me to the California coast. Uh, but I still couldn't decide where along the California coast. So I actually ended up getting like an RV, like a tiny home situation yeah. um, that I can move around whenever I I, I see fit. And right now I'm a quarter mile away from the harbor and the beach and it's a wonderful place. But if I decide to move, I just start dancing and go somewhere else. So that's where I am now. You're actually doing that. So you've got the tiny home thing. So you've got the home on wheels hooked up to a, a yes. ute and you, so you're now actually, how big is the tiny home you've got on wheels? Oh, it's, um, it's, I think a 22 footer. It's pretty small. Um, but it's, you know, after traveling for so long and, and spending so much time backpacking, especially backpacking, you realize how little you actually need, mm. you know, and I, I've been a minimalist for years and, you know, all I need is one pair of jeans, five t-shirts, and that's sufficient. And um, it's so much easier, you know, when I traveled and I stayed with different people, I got to see how much stuff people have and how much their life is dictated by the amount of stuff that they have. So they have to get a bigger house and more rooms to accommodate the stuff. And most of it they don't use. And so it became this really important lesson of how little do I really need? And so many people said, oh, I wish I could do that. And I'm like, you can and and I think it's there's a very close relationship between letting go of tangible stuff. Um, it, it, you know, when I tell people you don't necessarily need 20 towels, you know, you could just use a couple of towels or um, four different sets of bed sheets or, uh, you know, 10 bottles of shampoo around your shower. Um, the problem isn't the shampoo or the extra sets of dishes or, or glasses. 
the benefit of letting those go is that you're exercising the muscle of letting go instead of clinging. And when you can let go of the tangible stuff, then you can let go of old beliefs and values and fears and judgments and, and opinions that are just no longer valid because we are, we're habitual creatures. And if you habitually cling and, and hang on to everything tightly, then letting go of it is going to be really hard. I, I saw a quote the other day that said, everything I've ever let go of had claw marks in it. You know, because we just, we hang on so tightly. And, and so the invitation is start with the easy stuff, start letting go of the stuff that you have in abundance. And, and then it'll be easier to let go of some opinions, beliefs and, and resentments and whatnot that just no longer serve you. And imagine how easy it would be to let go of that last breath when it's time to go, you would just be ready and just do it. Smile. It would be fantastic. There's a load I want to unpack here, Timber, as we go through it. And go what, ahead. What, ca- what, what came to mind was a story that you told about your dad coming to visit you and he walked in and said, Timber, you don't have anything. But then as time progressed, his perception changed. Can you just run that story for us? Uh, yeah, um, that was pretty much it. He, he was so used to, you know, my, the parents in general are, um, very comfortable with being able to brag to their friends that their son works in corporate America and he makes good money and he's got a sports car and designer furniture and clothes and all this stuff. And it's very easy to hold him up and say, look at my son, look how successful he is by the societal definition of, of, of what success looks like. And when I decided to give all that up and move to Hawaii to lead a simple and uncomplicated life, he was stunned. He's like, what, what do I tell people? Like, I'm not comfortable with this because I don't understand it. And I figured out the best way for him to be able to understand it is to actually come and live with me and experience it for himself. So he came and he lived with me. And like you said, the very first thing he said when he saw my apartment, because he was so used to stuff, was to look at my apartment and say, oh my gosh, you don't have any. And that's, of course, relative to having a lot of material possessions. But after a month with me of cooking with me and walking with me and spending time with me and reading the same books that I was reading and whatnot. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. He literally looked at me in the eyes at the airport um, with tears and he said, Timber, there is nothing missing from your life. And both of those statements are true. I don't have anything and there is nothing missing from my life. And that's a, a direct result of something that each one of us can do. It's 
redefine what enough looks like. And when you do that, you realize you have plenty of it. But the reason we're so addicted to more, 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 more things, more money, more acreage, more everything, bigger TV, bigger everything, is that we haven't defined what enough looks like. So, of course, we'll never have it because we, we didn't draw that line of saying this is enough. But when you realize, and especially when you minimize your expenses, you realize, well, this is enough. Like this is and then you realize, well, shoot, then I, I don't really need to work 60 hours a week or 40. I can just work 20 and that'll be enough. And then I can live more and work less, which brings us back to the first question you asked is I'm constantly reevaluating, reevaluating what is the best use of my time. And I guess in a nutshell, you know, our actions convey our priorities and I value time more than I value stuff. So I spend more time outdoors and less time accumulating material possessions. And, and anyone can figure this out. If you want to figure out what's important to you, look at, look at where you spend most of your time or where you spend most of your money, and there's your answer. Gold, Robert. Gold. There's gold. There's gold in them. They're nothings. Timby, you just talked about the dream you had of leading a simple and uncomplicated life. And I suspect that the majority of people you speak to or meet would want a simple and uncomplicated life. I mean, I can't imagine many people dreaming of having a complicated life, yet the majority of people, not all, but the majority of people are leading a complicated life. Why, why is that? <laughs> um, it's the question I ask everyone. It's, <laughs> I think a lot of it is we... We identify as victims. We feel like we have to. And so there's this presumed pressure to lead a certain life. And we're forcing ourselves to meet this criteria that was set by someone else other than ourselves. And so my invitation for people is, first of all, when, I, when people say, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, is I reflect right back to them. I say, you're busy by choice. Stop complaining about it. And it really stops them in their track. In fact, the, the best book review I ever received, or my favorite book review, was from someone who said, I love this book. I threw it across the room a dozen times, but I love this book. <laughs> and it's because the book becomes a mirror, and it just reflects back to you. So the, this idea of um, identifying as a victim, every single time you start a sentence by saying, I have to, you're saying, poor me, I'm a victim, I have to do this. Whether it be, I have to go to work tomorrow. You don't have to go to work tomorrow. You choose to. I say celebrate that choice. And some may argue and go, no, I don't choose to. I have to have to pay the mortgage. And I say, you don't have to. You choose to live in that big house. Ask yourself, why do you choose that? And the, the, the purpose of this exercise is so you can get down to the core of why you choose, why you make some of the decisions that you make. Why do you need to feel... Why do you feel the need to have that big house or have that car or, or, or spend that money and buy all? And when you peel back the layers as to why you're doing what you're doing, you may not like the answer. It may be impress your parents. It may be in like Fight Club. We, we work jobs that we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like. The beauty of realizing that that's your motivation is that you can say, well, I don't want to do that anymore. And then you can go back, as I said earlier, redefine what enough means and change the trajectory of your life. 
but it's never too late. So my what I do, again, to go back to answering your first question, is I lead by example. I live the life I want to live. And I don't feel victimized, and it's nobody else's fault. Um, I don't have to do anything I choose to. And when you own that choice, you celebrate everything. You do everything with joy, or you don't do it at all. Giving, giving up all these things and a lifestyle in general to lead the life you've lived, I guess yes. my question is two parts. Was it a hard decision? And secondly, <laughs> how did you go about it? Um, I laugh because you say giving up. And I guess it's because I never looked at it as giving up. I didn't give up um, eating out every single night and give up the material possessions and give up the expensive clothes. And I didn't, you know, I exchanged it. I exchanged it for free time. I exchanged it for, you know, the ability to, to do. And, and I think it came down to the fact that everything I actually like to do is free. Hiking is free. Playing volleyball is free. Playing tennis is free. Going kayaking is free. All the stuff, like spending quality time with people and deep conversations, those don't cost a thing. Books are free. You can go to the library. You can exchange them. It's And those are the things that really enrich my life. And I said, so why in the world am I working so hard to chase what I don't truly want? It's not a desire that I ever had myself. It was almost projected onto me. And so, you know, the, the books are used as required reading in a few high schools. And then I go and talk to the students and I ask them, you know, what's it going to take for you to be happy? And it breaks my heart, the list of things that they say, oh, I have to um, graduate school. I have to um, go to college. I have to get a degree. I have to get married. I have to make a ton of money. I have to buy the house. I have to have two cars and then I'll be happy. And what they're essentially doing is they're taking happiness and they're throwing it way into the future saying, I won't be happy until dot, dot, dot. And many of us do this. We, we limit the possibility of our happiness to certain things being met. And my invitation is, first of all, and to answer your question, you know, was it hard to do that, to make that transition from having, you know, leading the societal recipe to going against the stream, so to speak. Um, it wasn't hard. Um, I looked at, at it as a recipe. And, and instead of, you know, a lot of people want to have a peaceful life and a calm life and a happy life. And so they, they look for things to add to their lives to make them happy or peaceful or go to a retreat or do yoga, do that. But they don't stop doing the very things that make them unhappy first. So, I compared it in the book to like a cake recipe and let's say your cake is bitter and what people are constantly doing and what marketing pushes on us is let's put more chocolate frosting on it. Let's, let's just add more stuff on it. And then you end up with bitter cake with chocolate frosting on it, but you have to keep putting the frosting on it to make it bearable. Whereas I say, stop, look at the ingredients in your cake. What is making it bitter? Get it out. And then you're left with a really good cake. Anything you do on top of that is icing, but even without it, life is really good. So no, it wasn't hard. Even though I didn't have a place to live lined up, I didn't have um, a job lined up, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew what I didn't want to do. And I think that's a very helpful navigation tool mm. for us to have in life, is to know what we don't want. 
Because you ask them, well, what do you want to do? What? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, well, do you know what you don't want? Because the moment you eliminate those, you're. it's like if you don't eat meat and you go to a restaurant and you look at their menu and you eliminate all the meat options, then it's easier to decide. You're not so overwhelmed by choices. You're like, oh, well, here are the remaining options that I can choose from. So if you eliminate so many things that you don't want to do with your life, it's it becomes so much easier um, to not be overwhelmed and decide what you do. And I think having faith and trust is a big player in this field. Um, and I get it from a simple logical equation. I've survived and made it through everything that's happened in my life so far. And anyone who's listening and you guys have made it through everything that's happened in your life as well. You wouldn't be here if you hadn't. And so your track record is 100%. So whatever you're going to take on next, you're going to be okay. Your definition of okay might need to be a little fluid, but you'll be okay. You'll make it through individually and collectively. We will be okay. So I had a lot of faith writing on it, and so far it's worked out. You, you've talked about having five T-shirts, one pair of jeans, uh, like Robbo and I, you've got your head shaved, and you've said that if you make one decision in your life, it makes all future decisions for you. What, when you changed this world, because you were in the corporate world, you were living the corporate lifestyle, and there was one choice you made that's now led to all your future decisions. What was that first choice you made, Timber, when you actually think back to the moment where you moved from one world into another world? What was that very first decision you made? I think it was that. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What I was just talking about, deciding what I don't want, it was when one of the other paralegals at the law firm was celebrating her 30-year anniversary and I had been there 10 years, I kind of got like this foresight of this is going to be my life. If I decide to stay, that's going to be me. I'm going to be the one celebrating 30 years in a cubicle under fluorescent light. And I couldn't imagine celebrating that. I, I, I didn't know what else that there was, but I felt there was more to life than that. So I, I that was my big decided, deciding moment. And I understand that. A lot of people say, oh, well, I can't do that. It's easy for you to say that because you don't have kids or whatnot. And, you know, what, what gets me going even through that, my parents um, set a wonderful example for me because we moved from one country to another. My parents were 
younger than I am now when they did that. They had two teenagers. We didn't speak a word of English. And we moved from a tiny little town in Israel to San Francisco. It was a huge culture shock. But they did it with two teenagers, no money, no job line, just on trust. And and they did it with two teenagers. So it is possible. I think it's very sad that we spend the first half of our lives blaming our parents and then the second half of our lives blaming our kids for not living the life that we want. In fact, mm-hmm. if you have children, I think you have a more a, a bigger responsibility to live the life you want because you're setting an example for your kids and you don't want to set an example of settling and resentment. Um, you want to actually reach for your dreams because if you're telling your kids to reach for their dreams, but they're seeing that you never have, how is that helpful? So there's a wonderful quote, I forget who it was, who said, if you really want to do something, you will find a way. And if you don't, you will find an excuse. You left that cubicle with the fluoro lights and you ended up in a Buddhist camp or a Buddhist monastery and you studied there for some time. I'm curious to know why... Why are we so fascinated by the whole Buddhist monk thing, Timber? Like, what is it? Yeah. What is it we're fascinated by, and what are we hoping to replicate? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't go immediately to the monastery. That's just it. First, I just moved to Hawaii. It was just a, I want to move somewhere slower and simpler and get around on a bike where I don't need a car and just simplify my life. But it's kind of like going through that junk drawer in the kitchen that we all have. You open it, you get rid of a bunch of stuff. And then a week later, you open it again. You're like, oh, I can get rid of more stuff. So I moved there and I simplified my life some. And then I looked at my life and I'm like, you know, I can simplify it some more. And then I was like, you know, I can simplify it even more. (laughs) And the more I did that, the more I realized like, man, I'm kind of living a monk's life. I mean, this is what monks do. And so I thought, well, let's check out what being in a monastery would be like. And so it was a very gradual process. And then while I was at the monastery, surprising, well, either surprisingly or not surprisingly enough, I realized, you know, this is the other extreme. And Buddhism is not about extremes. It's about the middle path. And so, and you know, when I first moved to Hawaii um, and I left the corporate world and all that, I started writing a letter to my friends every month to let them know what's going on with me because they were very freaked out about, you know, what, what are you going to do with life? What's happening? Did you crazy, you know? And I said, I'll keep in touch. I'll let you know what's going on. And after eight years, I moved into a monastery and the letter stopped because the monastery was off the grid. There was no internet. There was no email. I couldn't connect with anyone. But I received a letter, a handwritten letter from one of my friends. And she said, you know, Timber, I know that you believe we're here to learn to be selfless. Um, And I hate to tell you this, but you being at the monastery is the most selfish thing that you can do. And she had a point. You know, yeah, it was brutal, but it was a really strong and important point. And and she said, you're of no use to the outside world if you keep yourself tucked away at the monastery. I mean, yeah, it's all nice and common for you, but you've kind of deserted the rest of us. Like your emails to us throughout the years really encouraged us that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that that the cubicle isn't the end all be all. That's just where we are right now. And at any point we can make that change. But you just left. And so I don't regret going, but I couldn't justify staying. And I thought, how can I apply these teachings into daily life living in like downtown Los Angeles? You know, because if I can pull off being peaceful and calm 
and and all of that in the city, then I'm actually applying the teaching because it's what is it the saying? It's easy to be skinny on a deserted island. You know, it's just. Um, so I think what draws us to Buddhism and and the monkhood and all that is that they're very calm, they're very peaceful, they're very soft spoken, they're very patient. And we want that in our lives so much, but we, again, we play victims. We blame other people. But the point is, of life, it's not about creating an environment where nobody pushes our buttons. I think through deep practice, we can get to a place where we don't have any buttons that can be pushed. So it's realizing that we create our own suffering. The problem isn't traffic. The problem is impatience. And because you can't control traffic, but you can control how patient or impatient you are. So then the responsibility is put back on you. And that's actually the answer every single time. The problem isn't annoying people. It's that you keep getting annoyed. <laughs> but, you know, the problem isn't being in a stressful situation. It's choosing to be stressed. And so the, the, the responsibility keeps coming back to us to say, how, how can I manipulate this within me and eleanor roosevelt said no one can make you feel inferior without your consent and i not only agree but i believe no one can make you feel anything without your consent so again that puts the responsibility back on you because you can say something you know um offensive to me but then it's my choice whether i, I get offended or not but we've become this culture that keeps pointing the finger at other people they did this to me. You make me feel. You, you know, I'm like, no one's doing that. These are all your choices. And the beauty of that is that it, of someone telling you you're the problem is you realize you're also the solution. And I think that's the most liberating thing that we could ever do is, is be empowered to take control back of our lives. With, with the whole Buddhist um, monk environment, I'm sure a lot of people are fascinated by it, Tim, but does someone, how do you get into it? Do you just pick out a monastery, turn up, prove yourself, put your robes on and start to meditate? I mean, how does one, can anybody do it? And how does one go about becoming accepted in a monastery? Yes, anyone can do it. Um, there are over 800 different schools of Buddhism, so it is very, which which was surprising to me because I, I found it by looking for something simple and uncomplicated. And it was when I was at the monastery that I realized, whoa, this is really complicated, you know, and there's a whole hierarchy <laughs> and, and so many rules and numbers. And and I really realized, I was like, you know, it's it's not about memorizing ancient sutras. It's not about... Um, looking a certain way and taking certain, you know, it's it's not about being a Buddhist. It's about being Buddha-like. And so many people miss the mark. They're so concerned with being Christian, they overlook being Christ-like, you know. And so it, for me, it's not really about the label. It's not really about putting on the robes. In fact, taking off the robes was really liberating. See, the the robes made sense in the monastery because we believe that we're all one and that we're all the same. And when you're surrounded by everyone else with the exact same haircut and the exact same clothes doing the exact same thing, it's easy to believe and see everyone as an equal. But when I left the monastery, as my friend suggested, and went back into the quote-unquote real world, but I kept my robes, the robes communicated something very different 
They said, I'm different from you. And people started treating me differently, which is the exact opposite of my message and my belief. And so if I truly believe that we're all equal, we're all the same, and that I'm just like everybody else, and I am like everybody else, I'm struggling with the exact same thing as everyone, then I can just blend in and let my life be my message. Let the fact that I'm doing the same thing everyone else is doing, but I'm doing it with a smile. And that in itself triggers the question, what are you doing differently? So I'm not a teacher, I'm not a guru, and I'm not a master of anything. I'm just a sharer and I just share my life vulnerably, just very, very transparent about the ups and the downs. You know, we all have Facebook accounts and Instagram or whatnot, but we are very selective to share the highlight reel, you know, like the photoshopped version of our lives. And and that's not authentic. I try to just share it all, that the difficulties, the challenges, um, and people don't do that because they're scared of being judged. But in my experience, I'm not judged. That's when people say, oh, yeah, me too. Like, I thought I was the only one. It's like, you're never the only one. And there's something really beautiful. And it brings us all together. So I don't, I'm reluctant to answer the question on how you could go about being in a monastery. Definitely, if that's something that someone wants to explore, there are meditation centers everywhere. Um, and you just contact them and they probably have a weekly meditation group and you go there and there's probably a teacher there. Um, and you start talking to them and then they are probably connected to a lineage that most likely has some kind of a monastery somewhere or a lay practitioner's temple somewhere um, where you can go. There are places you can go as a student. It doesn't cost anything. They just put you to work in the kitchen or um, in the garden, wherever, and you get your studies that way. You get to meditate. You get to learn the teachings. So th they're everywhere. But... Again, I want to stress the importance of remembering that there are 800 different schools. Um, I first started Tibetan Buddhism and found it that it wasn't a good fit for me. And then I switched to Zen and I had issues with that as well. I think every single one has something beneficial to offer, but not one has everything to offer. Uh, it's interesting, Timber, on that, is there a difference between the Buddhist teachings and Zen teachings? Well, Zen is a school of Buddhism and actually Zen is, there's Soto Zen and there's Rinzai Zen, which are two different schools of Zen. Zen is just, it's, you, you know, it's just like you're familiar with the Christian church and, and, and how segregated that has become. Um, when the Buddhist teachings travel from China to Japan to Korea to Thailand to India, it, it, it accumulated the local flavor. And so there's different teachings. And so my search was to get to the core of it, to get to like, what did the Buddha teach? Not what, what was interpreted and transliterated a million times, but like ultimately what is the Buddhist teachings? And in the smallest nutshell you can compress it into, um, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. And you can contemplate that for days, for hours, for lifetimes. <laughs> um because you realize that the pain of illness and growing old and all that and, and dying, all of those things are in, inevitable, but suffering is optional. And what that means is that the suffering is actually caused by trying to cling to youth, for example, and then old age becomes, creates suffering. But if you're not clinging to your youth, if you're just accepting, come then 
then, the, then you, you're opting not to suffer. So that's why letting go is so uh, prominent in, in Buddhist teachings, no matter what school you choose. So my invitation, again, is to not worry about being a Buddhist and, and focus more on being Buddha-like or Christ-like or whoever inspires you like. So if you consider yourself to be a Buddhist monk now, do you ever get angry? Like you said you suffer with the same things we all go through. I'm sure anger and frustration and stuff are emotions that we exhibit on a daily basis. Do you find yourself still in that situation? Well, I think there's a very important difference between feelings and emotions. And, I, you know, a feeling is something we all have and we all go through it and we feel frustrated, we feel impatient, we feel anger, we feel joy. And those come and go and they only last anywhere between 45 seconds and a minute and a half. That's it. Those are feelings and they come and go. We all experience them. But an emotion is when we take a feeling and we write a story around it, a narrative, and then we elongate it longer than a minute and a half. Sometimes we carry it for years and then we stay angry or mad for a long time. Um, so I happiness is a constant, not as a, a momentary feeling of joy. Um, I am always happy, yes, and I think because happiness is result of being grateful and i'm always extremely grateful for the the tiniest little things from functioning lungs to a beating heart to you know a comfortable bed to internet whatever it is if you're going to make a list of everything you're grateful for it's going to be forever long um and because i'm i'm constantly bringing myself back to a state of gratitude then i am consistently happy now, does that mean that I'm always in a good mood? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm still human. And so there are still things that occur, but then I don't identify with them. And I think, again, that's where our language comes in. Um, we say, I am angry, which is very dangerous. We identify with a momentary feeling instead of being more honest and saying, I'm feeling anger right now. Because saying that acknowledges the feeling and it acknowledges that it's temporary. But saying I am angry is very different. Then it's like you're wearing it like a vest. You're like, this is who I am. And then you start looking at the world through that lens of anger. So with with the time restriction, we can't really get into the quote-unquote mechanism of studying on how to um, acknowledge and honor every feeling and then navigate it to its, um, not its opposite necessarily, but it's every 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 feeling has an antidote you know and so the shortest version is i think gratitude so like you can't be angry at your spouse and grateful to be married at the same time so the what is that the moment that you're angry with them you have momentarily forgotten how grateful you are to have them in your life so because they can't co those two feelings can't coexist like it's and the mind can't hold two opposing thoughts and the moment you go back to being grateful to have them in your life that anger goes away because it, it seems so trivial so it's a navigation it's kind of like a rudder if 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 you're ever been in a watercraft that has a rudder you know and so you feel anger and you just adjust it and redirect yourself towards gratitude towards um compassion towards kindness and you, that becomes your new habitual pattern in my memoir i talk about how we you know you take a piece of paper and you fold it in half and you create a pattern the next time you fold it it's going to want to fold back the same way our behavior is very much like that 
So yes, we are behaving the way we always have, but it's always possible to create a new crease in that piece of paper and create a whole new behavior pattern where, where somebody cuts you off on the freeway instead of creating a story around that and, and calling them jerks or, or saying, oh, it's always you know people in BMWs or whatnot. And then you have a story around BMWs and every time you see a BMW, you get angry. It's so silly. Every time somebody cuts you off, you can just say, you know what, they just really have to. And then, and then you you don't that angry towards them. You you know what that feels like, and you just say, oh, go go ahead. You know, it's just little tools like that. There's plenty of them. You said in your guide to happiness, just to build upon this gratitude um, pathway that we are on right now. You've said that gratitude has a way of turning what we have into enough, which sort of ties back to where we sort of started this conversation about, you know, do we ever have enough? And you did a beautiful TEDx speech and which revolves around gratitude. Can you just spend a few moments talking about the power of gratitude, Timber? I think it ties into everything we've been talking about. This victim mentality is a direct result of lack of gratitude. Wanting more is a direct result of lack of gratitude. Um, being resentful, uh, being angry, um, having holding a grudge against someone, it all lacks gratitude. And I think if we change the narrative in our minds from stuff in our lives happening to us to everything happens for us, and you know, you know then then we're no longer victims. Then we are. Then we when it happens for you, you're like, well, okay, it happened. For what what is it what it happened for me to learn from grow from and most importantly move on from and then we can be grateful even for being abused as children um which i have because it taught me how i don't want to be how i don't want anyone treated and it it propelled me to lead a role in this life that i would not necessarily lead had i not that experience had that experience and i'm no longer angry at my parents for doing what they did. They did the best they could. They probably improved upon how they were raised. And then I can have compassion for them that they were raised with such violence, you know, and not hold it against them. No one comes with a guide on how to live a life, you know, or how to be a parent. Um, and, and so I think being grateful for everything, like even, and when you start dropping labels and judging experiences as good or bad or right or wrong and you realize that they just are like this just happened and you're not labeling it as terrible um it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. 
CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. You're invited to kind of take a, a back seat almost and acknowledge that there, there's something happening in front of you, and part of you wants to judge it as good. Part of you thinks that there's probably a reasonable explanation for it. And when you stop judging your own life, you stop judging other people, you're grateful for every experience and every person in your life as a teacher, and you see it as such and you honor it as such. And it just elevates your life to a whole new perspective. Not to sound cliche, but when you change your perspective, you change your life. So instead of complaining, um, a good friend of mine is actually hiking the Appalachian Trail right now, which is a six-month hike in the U.S. from four, across 14 different states. Um, and he posted a picture today of him, like, drenched in rain, you know, muddy and, and just not what I would call ideal hiking weather. And he said you can be wet and miserable or you can just be wet and not choose to just be wet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so... It's literally a choice. Gratitude is a choice. Happiness is a choice. So if we're not happy, the invitation again is to look within and go, why am I choosing? Why am I choosing to be angry? It's harming me. It's toxic to me. Why am I choosing this? And often people say, well, they deserve my anger. It's like you're not hurting them, whoever they are. You're hurting yourself. Stop choosing the very things in your life that make you miserable. Which brings us back to you saying, we all want to live a simple and uncomplicated life. Why aren't we? We're not because we're choosing drama. We're choosing complications. We're choosing chaos. We're almost addicted to chaos. The moment it's quiet and silent, we look for music or television or something because the hardest thing for people to see is themselves. Because the moment you see yourself clearly, you realize you're part of them. And that propels you to find a solution and it, you need to put to go to work. It's so much easier to blame other people, but it doesn't solve the problem. The, the solution is still within us. And it's so, it, I don't know, liberating, I think is the true word for this. And I'm happy and I'm grateful because I feel very liberated. When I'm happy, it's because I'm choosing to be happy. If I'm angry, it's because I'm choosing to be angry. And then I, and then I laugh at myself. I'm like, why am I choosing this? And then makes it that much easier for me to past it. I hope that helps. That's gold. I think it's gold. I think it's uh, it, it's it's it, it's just beautiful hearing you speak, Timber. And I want to, on the same path, segue so a slight off ramp, but the same highway. You, I want to talk about making sit happen. And this is a personal question that I've been curious about. Now, I think the meditation, mindfulness, that area has become very, very prevalent in today's world and blogs and podcasts and videos. And I think it's, it's, there's thousands and thousands of hours of information out there. What I'm curious about is making sit happen with mindfulness and meditation. Can you do it walking around? Now, somebody, the reason I ask this question, I want to speak to an expert like you, which is one of the reasons I was compelled to, to ask you whether you'd be on the show is to get to this point where 
a lady said, do you meditate? Do you, do you practice mindfulness? And I said, well, I don't know. Not in the traditional sense, but I feel as though I do because I walk around a lot. I take the time to stop. I use the senses a lot. I do a lot of observation. I do a lot of listening, a lot of watching. Terribly curious. And that could be in an airport, a main street, a library, wherever, dinner table. But I guess I'm wondering, is it, is it a form of meditation and mindfulness that you can do when you are just quiet within yourself and taking in the world around you? Or do you have to be seated, particular pose, eyes closed, having a mantra, following your breathing? Like, do, do you have to? No, you, you most certainly do. In fact, many people come to me and they say, oh, I've tried meditation and I, I, I gave up. I'm doing it wrong. I can't do it. And, and the only reason people feel like they're doing it wrong is because someone out there is telling them that there's only one right way to do it. Like you said, sitting in a certain position with your eyes at a 45-degree angle, with the tongue in the roof of your mouth, counting your breath. And it's just like, it's ridiculous. You're like, I, I can't do this. And meditation is really about, oh my gosh, learning to first observe your mind, to watch it, to kind of distance yourself and be like, wow, it's it runs around after everything that makes curiosity and learning to, to control it so that you say, right now, this is what I want to focus on. And that's what I'm going to focus on. And that could be, like you said, walking, painting, running, kayaking, whatever it is that's not that my, our minds, our mind's not going to start wondering about something else. It'll stay focused on what we want to focus on, and that could be gardening, it could be painting, it could be whatever it is. That when you're doing it, you are present. And the benefits of that meditation is not those twenty minutes or thirty minutes. Even if you do decide to just sit quietly for thirty minutes, that the the practice of just sitting for thirty minutes is is because you're training your mind to do something you've never trained it to do before which is to listen to you, <laughs> to say, right now, I'm just going to sit here and I'm physically not going to move, for example, no matter what. Or I'm going to go for a walk and I'm not going to worry about laundry or my bills or anything. I'm just going to walk. or I'm just going to plant my garden or whatever it is. The benefit of that is not those 20 minutes when you're sitting there quietly. It's later in the day when someone says something unknowing, for example, and you've trained your mind to not automatically jump to whatever it wants to do. And you can choose to not be annoyed. And that's where mindfulness comes in. All mindfulness is, is a gap between impulse and action. And meditation helps us elongate that gap. And that way we can take the time in that gap and, and act instead of react. And that's the benefit of meditation. So yes, by all means, if you practice Walking slowly, chewing slowly, painting slowly, reading slowly, what breathing slow, whatever it is, you are training yourself to slow down, to be calm. And then when there is a very stressful situation, someone who has no experience or never practiced being calm doesn't know how to be calm and they're freaking out. They're having a panic attack. You have prepared for this moment. All the preparation that we do while meditation is not for that those 20 minutes. It's for everyday things that occur. And we can just say, hey, I've practiced being calm. I can do this now. And you'll find that you can actually navigate through all of life's challenges significantly more skillfully with that tool under in your belt 
than without it. And you're going to look at everything as, well, that's interesting. There's a big boulder in my way. Instead of saying, well, can't go anymore, or I'm stuck, or who put it there, or it, you just go, well, I'll get over that because I've gotten over all the other boulders in my life. You know, so you just, you're, you're exercising, controlling your mind instead of your mind controlling you and controlling your feelings instead of your feelings controlling you. And it's so, it's, it's so much fun. Like I, I know that it doesn't sound like fun when someone tells you to sit cross-legged and count your breath and be quiet for 20 minutes a day. Uh, the fun part is when you, you can exercise it in, in an environment where um, being calm is probably the best response you could have. And it's, it's no different than going to the gym and exercising your muscles so you can be stronger. You're exercising your mind so you can be stronger. Just on that mind part, Timber, I heard Sam Harris recently talk about the mind. He's a very successful author who talks about some of these sorts of things. And he said that the mind is chattering away all day. And surely this whole practice we're talking about is endeavouring to silence the mind and or change the dialogue in our mind. Is is that kind of where you're going with this or is there is there other things that you've learned through your study or your day-to-day observations that can help us quieten that mind to get to that point. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we can ever quiet the mind. I don't think that's the goal. I don't think that we should feel like we're failing in our uh, meditation if we can't quiet the mind. I actually don't believe, I, I agree with the author um, who said that the mind chatters all day. It does. What meditation allows you to do is to stop taking the mind so seriously, you know, because it's just sitting there. It is just narrating everything that's happening in front of you it is obnoxious it is annoying and it judges everything and you you just kind of separate from it and you just watch it and you're like gosh you're annoying you know and you just stop taking it so you don't identify with it anymore i don't know no one's ever asked me that and i've never put it this way before but when i think about it that's what it is, is you acknowledge that it's just chatter in the background. It's not real. You stop believing everything you think. You realize that feelings are not facts. And you navigate through life from a deeper sense of knowing that everything is good. Everything is okay. And and sometimes the only thing that's not is that, that you're not okay with, with however someone is being. Like, they're okay. You know, whatever, if someone is doing something... Um, that doesn't resonate with you, you and you want to call them wrong, but they're not wrong. They're just different, you know, and, and it, the problem isn't what they're doing. The problem is that you think that different is wrong and you're trying to create a world where everyone lives according to your values. It's like, good luck with that. And you realize just how egotistical it is and you laugh at yourself, stop taking the mind so seriously. And I think that chatter becomes quieter. So what it boils down to is acknowledging that there are two voices within us, at least two. One of them is the ego, which is obnoxious and loud and constantly wanting our attention. And the other one is that calm, wise, let's say guru within, the God within. You know, as kids, we have an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. Whatever, however you want to, um, to identify with them. But you realize there are two voices. There's the God within. There's the ego within. And you make a commitment to follow 
the wiser voice. It and and that voice gets louder, and the ego gets quieter. It's whichever voice you listen to is the, it becomes the more more prominent one, and the other one will always be there, kind of like static in the background. But you you stop giving it any attention. And it's just, you acknowledge it every morning. I acknowledge both the ego within and the God within. I say good morning to both of them because I'm never going to get rid of the ego. That's not the point. It's there. But I'm, I'm not going to live my life trying to please it because I know that's impossible. <laughs> so I've just given up trying to do the impossible. Um, that's really it. I've, I've, I've accepted that and, and not... And, <laughs> I'm sorry for being so lengthy, but the beauty of acknowledging that there there's a God and, and an ego within me is acknowledging that that's also true for you and everyone in front of me. So when I watch them and they do something that, let's say, I don't agree, I'm like, they, they're just acting out of the ego within. That's that's their driving. And, and I totally get that because I have one within me too. And sometimes it's really hard to ignore it. And they're having a hard time ignoring it. And they want to prove themselves right or superior because they're wounded, they're hurt, and that's how they want to feel good right now. And I, I stop judging them or, or want to condemn them. I just, I just honor them and I say, yes, brother, I know what you're going through. Um, do what you got to do. And um, as I always say, we're all mangoes on the same tree, but we don't all ripen at the same time. Ooh. Be patient. And just, it's all good. <laughs> That's going in the studio wall. We're all sweet and tasty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, mangoes. Ooh, uh, mangoes. All of a sudden, I'm hungry. Yeah. And, and think about it. How, how do mangoes ripen? It's through exposure to the light. And so yeah. the more we expose ourselves to light, to, to wisdom, to reading, to whatnot, the, the more we ripen. And if we stay in the dark and we ignore all of that, it'll take us longer to ripen. It's that simple. You seem like someone who loves books, Timber, and I'm I'm hallucinating here, but you you publish for yourself and for others. You have issued reading lists. And I heard you mention a book by singer, songwriter, and I've got to say a force of nature, Jewel. He wrote a book called Never Broken. Never Broken, yes. Yeah, you've spoken about this book. I'm guessing it's a book that you liked a lot. What did you What did you take from Never Broken, the book by Jewel? Um, I, I did the audio book for that one, uh, and I really enjoyed it because she narrates it herself as well. And and it boils down to that identity, uh, what I was talking about earlier. If you identify as broken, then you are broken. That's that's what it, it is. If you identify as a victim, then you are a victim. You will always be a victim. You will always look for who is doing something to you and who to blame and who that. And But if you identify, as she does, as never broken, no matter what, no matter what goes through, and, and she's gone through a whole lot, um, but not more or less than any of it. It's not a competition. Who suffered more? <laughs> we all suffered differently. Um, and we're all given exactly what we need, and a lesson will always repeat itself until we learn it. Um, what I liked about her book so much, or any book, is when someone is that transparent, that vulnerable, and just shares everything so openly. It's so beautiful to see um, someone be that exposed 
and comfortable in their own skin. We need more role models of uh, people saying, this is me. This is what happened in my life. But it didn't break me. It didn't ruin me. I'm still here. And, and I love that. And there are many, many books like that. I'm glad that one resonated with you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, and, and to hear her speak, she's, um, she truly is amazing. I mean, the stories she has, the backstory, how she dealt with it and her advice. Yeah, we all are. We all have stories. That's the beauty of it. Mm. We just don't all write books. Just before <laughs> I hand over to Robbo for the big question, Timber, which I think I've sufficiently warmed you up for, uh, there is a a movement or a trend at the moment to speak of and reflect back on the great philosophers so or the Stoics, you know, the Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and these sorts of greats from the past. I'm just one, one final thing. Who are, who are the modern day philosophers or who are the modern day Stoics that you look to today that inspire you and move you forward to want to be better? Oh, my gosh. Um, the one thing that came to mind immediately is when I went to my teachers and I started telling them, oh, my gosh, I love so-and-so, whether it be the Dalai Lama or Pema Chodron or whoever. And they both looked at me and they said, be careful there. And I know exactly what they meant. And that's the same warning I want to pass on. Um, I admire the teachings, not the teacher. So I think there are, you, as Ani DeFranco says, you can find poetry written right on a bathroom wall. So there are philosophers everywhere. There are people carrying the torch of light and inspiring people um, through all walks of life. Some of them are stand-up comedians and some of them are archbishops. Some of them are rabbis and some of them are monks. Some of them never say a word. But they're all incredible examples, and I think it is up to us, to each of us, to acknowledge the teacher within. And when we find something that resonates with us, to emulate that, the teaching, not the teacher. Cha-ching. That's gold. Gold. Now, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand you over to Robbo Timber, and uh, do you have 90 seconds of your time left? Yeah, I do. Robbo's Nifty 90. All right, Hawkeye, so here we go, mate. What's something in your life that you're most grateful for? My bed. What's your favourite meal? Chia balls. The best part of your day? Waking up. Three words that best describe Timber Hawkeye? Innovative, calm, joyful. Uh, What's the last thing you did on impulse? Oh, uh... <laughs> uh, on impulse. Oh, I went to New York. I found out that Marissa Tomei was off Broadway, and I've loved her for years. And I got on a plane and went to see her, and wow. got to wow. meet her. And yes, um, in fact, in the book, I named one of the characters Marissa because of her. So yes, that was definitely an impulse. Okay. Well, this might be connected to impulse. What's something that you need to stop doing? Overeating. Sunrise or sunset? Favorite one. Moonrise. Moonrise, great. What's the best piece of advice you would give to someone who wants to downscale their life? Start now. (laughs) Beautiful. And the big one, what's the the song that best sums up Timber Hawkeye? What's the best song that sums up who you are or what you're about? Oh, I'm torn between love is my religion and let's just go with that one. Yeah. Yeah. 
and you've just completed the Nifty 90. Well done. Awesome. Timber, honestly, mate, we are very, very grateful for your time, your sharing, your honesty, your, your story thus far. It's just been absolutely beautiful hearing you articulate your world, your thoughts, the philosophies you've learnt and share. People will obviously want to learn more about you. Where do you send people, mate? Oh, they could. Um, it's funny. I They could go get the book, of course, either Buddhist Boot Camp or Faithfully Religionless. They can uh, visit TimberHawkeye.com or BuddhistBootCamp.com. And I've done so many podcast interviews that I, in the next week or two, going to start my own podcast for Buddhist Boot Camp. So nice. I wow. can definitely look for that in a couple of weeks um, where I'll be reading the chapters from the book, dissecting them, answering further questions that people normally have, and just digging deeper into how to not just like the teachings, but how to apply them into day-to-day lives. So yeah, through the website, there's an email list. I only send out one email a month and people are notified of any tours that I do, um, videos on YouTube, I'm everywhere. It's just the idea is to reach different audiences. Some people resonate more with Instagram than they do with Facebook. So I'm on both, you know, it's um, it, it, my, my point is not to preach to the choir, but to... Um, to let people know that in their day-to-day lives, they can find um, the sanctuary within themselves that they're so hungry for and to liberate themselves. Um, so uh, whichever format resonates with you, whether it be audiobooks or podcast or Instagram, I'm there. And I don't know sometimes it can be awkward to uh, to ask guests to come on your podcast, mate, but Robbo and I would be delighted any time to share our philosophies. <laughs> uh, uh, how we do stuff, uh, you know, the Australian way of life, just a couple of Ocker bogans. So, uh, you know, anytime, just uh, just flick us an email, mate. Just on the other end of Skype, not far away. <laughs> Thank you. And I very much appreciate the work that you guys do in the world. It's really, it's really fantastic. Um, you guys are, again, shedding light. You're, you're ripening mangoes in your own way, and I very much appreciate it. Oh, mangoes ripening. So you, now I'm really hungry. It's been a true delight talking to you, mate. I... Uh, I got to say, I, I really, really enjoyed hearing your stuff, and uh, thank you, thank you for taking the time. We're, we're very, very grateful. Yeah, thanks, man. Thank you. The Mojo Radio Show. You know, another good way to go about minimalizing your life: mm. move house. <laughs> Having just done it a couple of weeks ago, you actually look at the truckloads of stuff that get moved from one place to another, and you go, "My God, do we really need all that?" Well. I, I think that's – I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, our household, we pick – each week we pick a part of the house or my shed and I do the same thing. And I recently went through my coffee cups and I have – I've got coffee cups there that I have not used in 10 years. And mm. I go, why am I keeping them? Ah, because I got it from this special. No, no, it's gone. Mm. Gone. Mm. And I think at the top of my page in my Merjo journal under Timber Hawkeye, the thing that I've written down is – the first question, if you want to get on board with the stuff that Tim is talking about, is what don't I want? Mm. And I, I thought that was really profound. You don't really hear that talked about a lot because when people are trying to find their way or they're trying to become a minimalist, that sort of stuff, I found that a really a great first step. The absolutely first step is to say, well, before you do any of this, what don't you want in your world? Mm, that's right. And if it's clutter, get rid of it. If it's Pressure, if it's anxiety, if it's toxic people, if it's overwhelm, if it's 83 hours a week of work, if that's what you don't want, 
write that down, then set about changing it. Mm. I think it's, uh, he was great. He was. He was good value. Have you checked your email this morning, Mulder? No, why? Because I received something unsettling and I wondered if you'd gotten it too. The Mojo Mailbag. Now, we got some mail off the interwebs this week. Nice. Who do we? Uh, who, who, who wrote to us? Who well, wrote to us, well, Robert? I'm, I'm actually wondering whether you know this guy. It's a gentleman called Pat McGill, uh, and uh, he's a bit of a bike rider, and um, mm-hmm. I believe has either taken part or was going to be taking part in one of your Tour de Cures last year. McGilly. McGilly. Patster. The Patster. The Patinator. <laughs> the Patinator. The, the McGillster had been listening to episode 119, which uh, featured a getting after it with the guys from Mojo Crafted Kombucha. Now- Pat had a, uh, a bit of a bike accident last year. He actually says that he was in training for the Tour de Cure signature ride last year when he had a massive accident and ended up breaking his spine along with other things. He says, seven operations and a staph infection later, my body is still recovering and the gut is shot. Back on the bike again. Hope life is all good. Hopefully this will get my gut sorted out over time. So uh, he's on the good stuff, the Mojo Kombucha, and he's actually asked, mate, uh, if you would be interested in passing on your recipe. Yeah, well, I think what the uh, the patinator is asking probably is how I flavour my kombucha or my kefir. Now, for those people who may not have heard episode 119, kombucha, kefir, kimchi are essentially, well, let's call it a, 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 live, a live food. They are... Uh, no, no, are they fermented? Yeah. They're a live food. They're a, they're a source of fermented food. They're the, the healthy bacteria or microbiome for your gut. And kombucha is made, you get a thing called a scoby, which looks like a big jellyfish. And you can get these easily online from somebody who can sell you a scoby. And, uh, or you can actually, if somebody, if you know somebody who's got them, quite often people, as these things grow in kombucha, they multiply I've got a Scoby Hotel, so I've got four of them sitting. <laughs> is that something in a from Monopoly? My, it is. It's really interesting. I think it's called a Scoby Hotel, right? Uh, and you keep these things. I've got one that's currently on the bench, and you. I won't go through the whole process, but essentially, you add tea. So you put three bags of tea on the stove. You bring it to the boil. You let it simmer, and you make this big basically a litre of tea. And you can use green tea, chamomile, English breakfast, whatever you've got. You add to that a third of a cup of sugar. You let it cool down to room temperature because scobies don't like it hot. And then you add it to the scoby and you leave it for a couple of weeks. And what happens is the scoby then interacts with the sugar and the fermented stuff in the tea and it makes this drink. And then you harvest that off. If it's you've got a, a litre of it, you harvest off 750 mils. You can bottle that. The other 250 you leave in there. Then you go through the same process again. You add your tea to your scoby. You harvest off three quarters, leave a quarter, and so it goes. And then what happens is you bottle it into like I use Grolsch bottles, put it in the cupboard, leave it for a couple of weeks. When you open it, you get this boof, like it's a, a live tonic because inside you've got the bacteria and microbiome that are doing their stuff and they're basically producing this gas. Now, I do the same thing with kefir and I've got water grain kefir and I do the same thing. Now, with kombucha, you live for a couple of weeks, kefir, you live for a couple of days. And every couple of days you harvest off, you go through the same process, you add in the sugar. It's not sweet because basically the sugar is the food for the scoby or the water-based kefir crystals. Yeah. So you're not actually getting a sugar hit 
what's happening is you're getting a fermented product which is live and living, which goes into your gut. And what the patinator needs to do is get this stuff. It'll take a long time for him to get back to where he was, but antibiotics will mess up the gut lining and the microbiome, the bacteria in your gut, it'll, it'll kill them. Like it just, even if you have a Panadol or a Nurofen or anything like that, it'll immediately, just, just one tablet will start to damage the gut lining. So kefir, kombucha, kimchi, all these things, or Derek Dillinger, the fermented man that we spoke to a couple of weeks back. Uh, I make sauerkraut. I've just made a green tomato and cabbage sauerkraut, which I just mix with salt and water, let it ferment for five days, put a lid on it, put it in the fridge. And the same as uh, I've been doing the same thing with, with tomatoes. I pick some fresh tomatoes out of the garden, put them in some salt water, let them sit on the counter for five days, scoop off the muck on top, which is growing, put them in the fridge. When you open it up, you get this boof, like it's because it's living. Like How's the it thing go again? Is actually living. Boof. <laughs> Oh, it's cool. I just wanted to hear you it's do just, that again. <laughs> everybody, everyone looks around and goes, what was that? Like a bottle of champagne type thing. Yeah, right. Now, with the kombucha or the kefir, I quite often make ginger beer because it's going to be oh, bubbly like yum. a effervescence. I just put in, I go and brew up ginger on the stove and put in a little bit of sugar with it, make a, 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 a ginger beer type thing. Quite often I put fresh fruit in. So quite often I'll go and pick raspberries or strawberries out of the garden, blackberries, throw those in. And what you're really doing is you're making a flavoured soft drink. So it's kefir or kombucha based. I like the ginger. One thing I have been adding in a lot, uh, patinator, which you may want to think about doing is I grow habanero chilies, the really hot ones. I dry them in my uh, dehydrator. I'll chop off the end of it, stick it in. So when you drink it, you get this really nice flavoured drink, but you get this real heat at the back of your mouth when you've done it. You've got nice hot habanero chilies or bird's eye chilies. That heat is really good for your gut. So when that heat goes down into your gut, and this is a very um, Eastern philosophy, is the heat in the gut is what helps to help digest the food and it also helps to heal the gut. So that's something I do because I like chilli. I like it a bit hot. I just add a little piece into it. just gives a bit of flavour. No one else in the household likes it. Um, And then in addition to that, patinator, what you need to do is just get onto your greens, organic, clean as possible, loads of veggies, cut back on anything that's going to take a lot of digesting for your gut. So cut back on your breads and pastas and processed foods and all that sort of crap. Cut back on that and just uh, be, you're going to be disciplined. Discipline equals freedom. The freedom of a good gut comes with discipline of fermented foods and healthy, organic, clean veggies. That's what I mean. You know what we should do? We should get Smithy on. I was going to say that. I was going to say we need to get in touch with Smithy. And the other thing I was going to throw out there, listening to you talking about dehydrating your chilies, when I, I mentioned a little while ago that we moved house, when we left the old house, I had a smack load of chilies on, on the bushes out the back and I grabbed them all, brought them with me and I tossed them in the oven over the weekend down on, down on low or down on under 100 and just let them sit for a, like a day and a half. And what you get is not only this dehydrated chili, but it's a little bit roasted as well. So it's a little bit roasty and tasty. Oh, got to tell yeah, you, I'll be doing process. that again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so nice though. I've got my fermenter in the in the shed and I go and do a harvest. I've got bird's eyes and habaneros, which are on the, what's it called? The SKU scale, I think it's called. Yes, or yep. The, I forget what it's called now, the SCOBY scale or something. These habaneros are like way at the top of the tree. Yeah. 
And uh, they're the mothers. I walk into my machinery shed and it's thick with this smell coming off <laughs> it, and it starts making my eyes water. Eyes water, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm I, going, oh, that's, a good, that's a good stuff. <laughs> that's it, exactly. Mate. Get that in your belly. Uh, get your belly warmed up with that little number. Absolutely. Love it. So, Patinator, I would be going, look, honestly, the kefir and kombucha is so easy to make. And once you've got it and you're making so much of it, you just play with it. Just get some Grolsch mm. bottles or some of those bottles you buy from, from the store, Howard Storage, that have got a really good seal on them. Hey, just start playing with it. And I'll just put in different fresh fruits and stuff, which the sugar gets fermented into the drink. And that's what the, what, what the kefir and or the kombucha eat. And then sauerkrauts and the fermented foods, listen to Derek Dillinger, it's so easy to do. Like people just think this thing just sounds so complicated and all I do is twice a day, lunch and dinner, I scoop out some tomatoes or some sauerkraut or some carrots. I just put one scoop onto whatever I'm having for lunch or dinner. Job's right and it will make such a difference to your gut. Pat's been through a lot of antibiotics so he's going to take a while for him to get back to health but he'll feel it pretty much straight away with it starts to kickstart the system. But to get back to where he wants it to mend it, it'll just take a while, but it all comes down to discipline. Absolutely. And we've got to get Smitty on. We've got to do that. All right. Well, let's uh, – we, we'll get a new segment and we'll call it Ask Smithy. Ask I don't even Smithy. know where he is. I think he's actually – he's on the road somewhere. So we'll track oh, him down. Oh. Yeah, we'll, we'll track him down. We'll get him on the show. We'll have a chat and we'll directly ask Smithy what the, uh, what the patinator should do. Absolutely. There's a great idea. And if he doesn't agree with what I've just said, we'll just edit out whatever Smithy says. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We'll just change it. Yeah, that's great, Smithy. Now, can you just say this? <laughs> now, how are we going to get out of the show this week? It's your turn. I picked last week. What's your pick this week? Hearing Timber Hawkeye speak takes me back. And I'm going a long way back. Do, 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 do. Episode <laughs> 74. Wow. Do you remember the indie spiritualist Chris Grosso? How could I forget? He was amazing, almost as amazing as Timber. I think that particular show, if you haven't listened to it, folks, go back to themojoradioshow.com, check it out, because if you've got children and you've got a dream of the relationship you want with your children and you want to help your children realise their dreams, I thought the indie spiritualist Chris Grosso was one of the most profound shows that we as parents have to listen to. The guy's just been to the dark side and back, super, super cool. The reason that I'm going to finish with this particular track was that when we spoke to Chris in the conversation, I asked him about a band that when I was a kid, I used to love these guys and it was a band called Blue Oyster. Do you remember Blue Oyster Cult? Of course. Absolutely. How could... Massive. Don't fear the reaper? Don't fear the reaper. Well, one of the players in Blue Oyster Cult was a guy called Krishna Das, who was very big into meditation and very big into mindfulness and spirituality. And he was a guy that Chris had spent time with. And I thought, well, if we're going to get out of the show, we should think about a muso who's kind of into spirituality, Mm. into exploration. Mm. And honestly, it's just the coolest track. It is very cool. I know where you're going now. We're out. Don't fear the reaper, nor do the wind.
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurtWhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out VoodooSound.com.au and for the right voice, RealTimeCasting.com Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.